Uh, well, friends, uh, there's a story about a man who took his date to a burger place for dinner. Uh, he placed an order for a couple of burgers and fries for himself and his date. But uh, it turns out that rather than giving him uh, burgers, the young woman at the counter mistakenly gave him the day's takings, which was in a similar coloured brown paper bag. Now, uh, you can imagine the surprise when the couple sat down at a nearby park to enjoy the meal. Instead of discovering the burgers, they discovered $800 of money inside the paper bag. Uh, but the man, being an honest man, quickly put the, the money uh, back in the bag and drove uh, all the way back to the burger place. And he said to the manager, I ordered a couple of burgers from here, but I wound up with all this money instead. Well, as you can imagine, the manager was thrilled to death. He said, uh, let me call the local newspaper. I'm going to have them put your picture in the newspaper. Uh, you're the most honest man I have ever known. To which the man quickly responded, no, 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 you can't do that. Then he leaned in a little bit closer and he, and he whispered, you see, the woman I'm with is not my wife. She's actually somebody else's wife. Uh, well, the topic we're looking at today is ministry and integrity. Uh, integrity is about a consistency between a person's uh, words and their behavior. It's about promise-keeping. Uh, it's about reliability. Uh, we see the importance of integrity, I think, in the devastation we see when promises are not kept. Uh, think about the politician who makes promises and doesn't follow through, or the dishonest used car salesman who tries to sell you a lemon, or the broken promises when a spouse has an affair and destroys the trust of his family. Uh, you may uh, have experienced times when uh, people have broken promises to you and in turn you have broken promises to other people. But uh, integrity is especially important for Christian ministry because uh, Christian ministry is all about relationships, isn't it? It's about uh, growing in our relationship with God and with each other. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you a person of integrity? Are you a person who uh, gives your word and keeps your word as far as humanly is possible. Uh, well, if you've joined us this week, uh, we've started a new series on 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're in a part of the letter where Paul is defending his ministry. Uh, it's a long section that stretches from uh, chapter 1 uh, all the way to chapter 2, uh, sorry, chapter 7. And uh, he defends his ministry in these chapters because uh, the Corinthians were actually questioning Paul's ministry. They were questioning his uh, motives in ministry. They were questioning his integrity. They were questioning whether he was the real deal. And uh, in this morning's passage, you can see that one of the reasons why they were questioning Paul is because Paul had changed his travel plans. He had actually uh, told the Corinthian church that uh, he would visit them uh, a number of times, 
but then he decides to change his travel plans on them. Uh, now, uh, at this stage, I think it will be helpful to understand some of the background uh, as to what is happening uh, between Paul and the Corinthian church at this time. And uh, it'll be useful for you to uh, take out the map uh, that I've given you in your outlines, uh, just to visually uh, see uh, what's going on. Um, it's, a, it's a very simple map with some of the major cities uh, that uh, Paul visited uh, around about the time that he's writing this letter. And uh, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, uh, which is the, the letter that you have uh, in your Bibles just before 2 Corinthians, it's likely that he wrote uh, this letter, 1 Corinthians, from the city of Ephesus. Uh, this is where he wrote 1 Corinthians and sent it uh, to the Corinthian church. Uh, some of you might be familiar that uh, might be familiar with the fact that 1 Corinthians is a, is a letter that tries to deal with a lot of the problems that were happening in the Corinthian church. Uh, but right at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the church of his intentions to visit them soon. And so if you have your Bibles there, just turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and uh, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5, Paul says, uh, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, uh, which is sort of the region uh, near Philippi that you see on your map. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Uh, now, sometime after Paul sends this letter, he, he sends his young apprentice, Timothy, uh, all the way to Corinth to see how the church is getting on. And what does Timothy find? Well, he finds that the Corinthian church is in absolute disarray. Uh, it's still full of problems. They haven't made much progress in the things that Paul had written to them about in 1 Corinthians. And so Paul decides to scrap his earlier travel plans and make an emergency visit uh, to Corinth. Uh, if you turn back with me to 2 Corinthians, uh, have a look there at uh, chapter 2, verse 1, because uh, Paul refers to this visit uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, and uh, you can see there that he refers to this visit as a painful visit or a sorrowful visit. Uh, it's a visit that he made to the Corinthian church where he actually had a lot of hard things to say to them. It was probably during this visit, however, that Paul comes up with another travel plan. Uh, he would leave Corinth, but he would come back and visit the Corinthians again, he says. Uh, not once, but actually twice. Uh, you can see uh, that Paul mentions this plan uh, in chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, have a look at chapter 1, verse 15 of 2 Corinthians. He says, Because I was, sh I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. The second experience of grace 
that you see there uh, isn't referring to some you know, new spiritual experience, but it's actually Paul talking about a collection of money that he intends to take from the Corinthians twice so that they could give the money to a struggling Judean church. Uh, it's extraordinary, don't you think, that uh, in 2 Corinthians, when Christians are generous uh, to others, uh, it, actu- it actually refers to that as a grace from God, uh, generosity from God to the person. But here's the thing. When Paul leaves Corinth after the painful visit, things start to go a bit pear-shaped in the church. Uh, It seems that someone in the Corinthian church was making personal attacks on Paul and he was doing it publicly. It also seems that this man had the support uh, of a minority of people within the Corinthian church. What's worse... The majority of the church in Corinth just sat back and let it happen. They didn't, they didn't stand up for their apostle who brought them the gospel. They took no action in disciplining the person who was, a, who was attacking Paul, and so they just let it happen. And so what Paul does is rather than visit the Corinthian church again as originally planned, well, he sends a letter to them instead. Uh, You can see it there in chapter 2, verse 4. Have a look with me at chapter 2, verse 4, where Paul says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to know the abundant love that I have for you. Here is the heartbroken apostle writing to the Corinthians with great anguish and sorrow because of their disobedience and the way that they are living their lives. Uh, Now, friends, uh, if you didn't get much of that, uh, don't worry too much. Uh, I think what matters is that you understand that Paul made certain plans to visit the Corinthian church, but here what we find is that Paul changes his plans. He ends up changing his plans, and instead of visiting them, he writes them uh, a painful letter instead. And this becomes a problem because the Corinthians start to doubt Paul's ministry. Now, I just want you to have a bit of a think about why that might be the case. Uh, Maybe have have a chat to the person sitting next to you. Why might the Corinthian church be doubting Paul's ministry Uh, as a result of him changing his his ministry plans. I'll give you a few moments just to uh, uh, speak to the person sitting next to you and um, uh, have a a chat about that. Uh, Okay, uh, that's enough time. Uh, What do you think? Uh, Why do you think the Corinthian church might have uh, be be doubting uh, Paul's ministry? Is that a... Is that, it's Esther, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if, you know, if he, if he doesn't keep his word, then uh, how can they, they trust everything else that he's been telling them uh, about the gospel and so forth? Yeah, yeah. Any other reasons? I mean, that's the obvious one, isn't it? Um, but 
uh, perhaps it, it might even be uh, that they were saying, you know, uh, Paul, uh, he's a bit of a weak apostle. <laughs> you know, he should have been here sorting out this mess face to face, but he's kind of chickened out and sent a letter instead, perhaps. Um, but uh, at least in the passage, I think uh, uh, what Esther says is right. And uh, you can see the echoes of this criticism in uh, chapter 1, verse 17, uh, as Paul defends his ministry. He says, uh, Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Uh, do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Uh, you see what he's saying? Uh, do you think I just make plans uh, only to break them? Or uh, do I give promises, uh, really intending to do something else? Um, he's asking that question. Well, how then does Paul defend his ministry? How does Paul defend his ministry? What reasons does he give for why the Corinthians can be confident in, of his integrity? Uh, well, friends, uh, the first thing that he mentions there is the sincerity of his past ministry. The sincerity of his past ministry. And uh, you can see it there in uh, verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. He says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. Uh, the word simplicity there uh, just means single-mindedness single-mindedness. In Paul's ministry, he was only ever on about the one thing, and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't have other agendas. He didn't have any other motives other than to see people joyfully submitting their lives in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does Paul know that his motives in ministry are pure? Well, you can see there that he knows because uh, his conscience is telling him that he has acted in this way with all sincerity. Now, the Christian conscience is something that we don't talk about very much these days, but uh, the conscience is uh, this moral kind of self-awareness that is in each and every one of us. Um, it affects the way we feel. Uh, it affects our behaviour as well. Um, I read a, little, uh, a lovely little description of uh, the conscience uh, this week. Uh, it was actually written by John Milton, the author of Paradise Lost. And uh, he says that the conscience is a, is a little bit like God's umpire within people. <laughs> it's a lovely way to put it, isn't it? Uh, God's umpire within people. It, it's as though you know, there's this little umpire in there kind of holding up the red flag if you're tempted to do something that you know to be wrong and uh, you know, giving the big thumbs up uh, when you do things that uh, you know to be right. Uh, you might know the feeling of dirtiness that you feel uh, when you do something wrong. Uh, and conversely, you might know the feeling of cleanness when uh, you know something to be right uh, and you do it. Um, well, that's the, the little umpire speaking, I think. But of course, uh, conscience is never a perfect indicator of sincerity. Uh, sometimes people can feel like something is right 
when actually uh, it is wrong in God's eyes. And uh, sometimes people might think that something is wrong when actually uh, there's nothing wrong about it in God's eyes. Um, The Bible speaks about a seared conscience that can uh, often be unreliable because it's just so used to going against God's word. And so it's unlikely that Paul is saying here that his conscience alone is telling him that he's acting in sincerity. But what he is saying is that uh, his conscience is telling him that because his conscience is lived in the presence of God and in the presence of uh, other Christians. Uh, Furthermore, uh, Paul says that this letter that he writes to, to, to the Corinthians is a sincere letter. Uh, In verse 13, he says, For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand. In other words, he's not playing word games in this letter. He he doesn't have other agendas. In fact, we'll see very clearly as we go through 2 Corinthians that it is one of the most raw and honest and emotional letters that Paul writes uh, to a church in the New Testament. He lays his soul bare before the Corinthians. And why is that? Well, it's because Paul's ministry has this single-minded and sincere goal of wanting to see the Corinthians standing firm until the last day. What he wants to be able to see on that last day is uh, him boasting in the Corinthian church and the Corinthian church boasting in him as they stand together on that day, uh, washed clean and spotless by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, not boasting in the sense that, you know, this is my, jo- uh, my doing, which is the way we use the word boast, but actually boasting in one another because uh, they realize how kind God has been in changing uh, the Corinthian Christians uh, to be followers of Jesus. Well, the second reason why the Corinthians can be confident of Paul's ministry is because his ministry is grounded in the character of God, who is faithful. Um, The Corinthians can be confident of Paul's ministry because his ministry is grounded in the character of God, who is faithful. Uh, Let's pick it up from chapter 1, verse 18. If you have your Bibles there, have a look at chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, It says, As surely as God is faithful... Our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Uh, Do you see what he's saying? He's saying God is faithful. Our God is a God who makes extravagant promises and keeps them. He is as good as his word. And you can see this clearly, most clearly, in the Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. 
All the promises of God find their yes in him, says Paul. God's promise to Abraham to bring blessing to the nations, fulfilled in Christ. God's promises to David that he would put uh, his king uh, on the throne who will rule his people forever, fulfilled in Jesus. God's promises to the prophets to replace the sinful and hard hearts of, of his people and replace it with a new heart of flesh that is eager to love and obey God, fulfilled in Jesus. And how do we know that God will keep his promises to us in the here and now? Well, Paul says that it is because he has given us his spirit. Uh, In the ancient world, uh, owners used to put their seal uh, on their property or on their cattle uh, or things like that. Uh, Here, Paul says that the spirit is a bit like a seal. It is God's way of marking out his people. And further, you'll notice that the Holy Spirit is described there as a guarantee uh, or a down payment. Uh, You know, if you go down to Target and put something on lay-by, as soon as you put down that down payment, uh, then it is a guarantee that they will hold the goods for you so that you will have it in the end. Similarly, if you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside you, then it is God's down payment. It is his guarantee that one day he will bring you safely into his eternal heavenly kingdom. You see, Paul's life is so grounded in the God who keeps his word that in all circumstances he tries to keep his word. It is a reflection of the God whom he has come to know through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, uh, it should be no different for us, should it? It should be no different for us who have come to know this God who has been faithful to us and has brought us life. Uh, Friends, how are you going in keeping your word? Uh, Husband, you gave your word to your wife. Um, could have been many years ago, could have been more recently. But you gave your word that you would sacrificially love them and lead them and help them to grow in Christ. Uh, how are you going at keeping that word? Wife, uh, you gave your word to your husband that you would honour them and submit to them and help them to lead your family in a way that brings glory to Jesus. How are you going in keeping that word? Uh, those of us who work, do you keep your work uh, word in the workplace because your life is so grounded in this God who has been faithful to you? Or how about appointments? If we give our word that uh, we will be at a certain place, at a certain time, uh, do we keep our word as far as is humanly possible? Or do you have a reputation for not sticking to your word and not being trustworthy? Or how about the things we say? If we say things like, you know, we should catch up sometime, 
Do we say things like that with no intention of actually doing that? Is it just something that we say but never really mean? Uh, I find these days that I have to be very careful in saying things like, I'll pray for you. Uh, There are so many uh, people to pray for and so many different circumstances where prayer is necessary that it's very easy for me to say, I'll pray for you, and never follow through on that. And so uh, I've made it a habit either to pray uh, there and then uh, with uh, the person or else uh, make a note of it in my diary because otherwise um, having a a three-second memory uh, I'll forget. Uh, You see, friends, Paul's life was one of faithfulness because his life was grounded in the God who is faithful. When Paul gave his word, uh, he meant to keep his word because His life was grounded in the God who kept his word through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom all the promises of God find their yes. Um, Sinful and broken as we are, are you and I people who have come to know this faithful and trustworthy and loving God and have been changed by him so that we are people who are growing in our faithfulness and in our trustworthiness? Uh, Now, friends, uh, the million-dollar question then is if Paul had every intention of following through with his planned visit to the Corinthians, why then did he change his mind? Why then did he change his mind and write this painful letter instead? What was his real motive in changing his travel plans? Uh, Well, uh, in this passage, it's very clear that it is because of Paul's great love for the Corinthian church that he decides not to pay them a personal visit. Uh, If you have a look with me at chapter 1, verse 23, chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says there, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. In other words, uh, Paul didn't want to come and rebuke the Corinthians again for their behavior. He had done it on a previous trip, And he didn't want to be the heavy-handed apostle who uh, always comes around to bash people over the head. Or have a look with me at chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3, he says, uh, And I wrote the painful letter as I did, so that when I eventually do come, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. You see, when Paul visits the Corinthians face to face, he wants to rejoice in them. He wants to see them growing and flourishing in their Christian lives rather than seeing them living in disobedience, which is too much pain for him to bear, you see. Or have a look with me at uh, chapter 2, verse 9. For this is why I wrote, he says, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Uh, Paul changes his travel plan so that He might test the Corinthians, give them time to repent, give them time to be obedient before coming again to visit them. In other words, friends, it's not because Paul is weak that he changes his plans. It's not because he is dishonest that he changes his plans with no intention to follow through. No, it's because he loves the Corinthian church 
that he decided to change his plans. That was his motive. That was what was on his heart. What Paul is saying here is that the Corinthians had misjudged his motives as a result of these changed travel plans. You see, friends, uh, it's very difficult to see someone's motive, isn't it, simply by uh, looking at their actions. Uh, I mean, think, for example, of uh, an attractive schoolgirl who uh, is late for class and she's you know, running uh, to her class and she drops all, the, all her books on the floor. And suddenly, uh, three young men uh, rush to her aid to help her pick up the books. Uh, what's going on there? What motives might they have in picking up the books for her? Well, one of them might just want a date with this attractive lady. Uh, another one might uh, 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 want a maths lesson. You know, she's the smartest girl in the class, and uh, he's, he's flunking maths, and he just needs somebody to help him. Or... Uh, another one of the boys might just be picking up the books because, well, he's just kind-hearted and he wants to help her out, you see. You see, it's the same action, but it's very hard to see the motive, isn't it? And friends, I think it's important to keep this in mind as we uh, relate to one another and as we serve one another as a church family because often, uh, I think, it's true to say, that we will see one another behaving in ways that we don't immediately agree with. Is that true? Do you see that happening around you? Uh, now, often, it is because uh, our brothers and sisters and we ourselves might have made poor decisions or be living in sin or, uh, or things like that, and uh, we need to hold each other accountable to that. But at the same time, some of these things may be done out of right motivations as well. So friends, are, are we people who rush to condemn one another? Or are we people who are charitable to one another in the way we see them? Uh, are, are we people who make quick assumptions about people's motives? Or are we people who give the benefit of the doubt and take the time to hear what is really happening in people's lives before we rush to make judgments? Well, finally, friends, uh, the goal of Paul's ministry uh, is the last point there on your outlines. You can see there that the goal of Paul's ministry towards the Corinthians uh, is actually restoration. Restoration. Uh, it seems that by the time Paul writes to Corinthians, uh, the Corinthian church uh, has made improvements. They've confronted the man who has been making personal attacks on Paul. Uh, the man, uh, it seems, has repented of his uh, sinful ways. And so what Paul urges the Corinthian church to do is to forgive the man and to comfort him. Uh, you can see it there in chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. 
For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Uh, Now, friends, uh, we won't have time to look at this section in a great amount of detail, but uh, I just want you to notice that what Paul wants for this man who has been causing trouble in the Corinthian church is restoration. You see, Paul doesn't want to tear him down. He actually wants to build him up. He doesn't want to condemn him. He wants to restore him to the fellowship of the church. And so he urges the church to forgive this man uh, just as he is willing to forgive this man. And friends, uh, that is a mark of the gospel, isn't it? For Jesus came not to tear us down for our sins, but to build us up. Jesus came not to condemn sinners, but to forgive us and to restore us to a right relationship with God and with each other. Uh, Perhaps you're here this morning and uh, your conscience is telling you that you are not right with God. Uh, You haven't been treating God uh, with the honour that he deserves. And if that is you, Well, the great news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to forgive your sin and to comfort you and to restore you to a right relationship with God and with other people in his family. Uh, Or you might be here and uh, you know, uh, as well as I know, that uh, we may not have been living a life of integrity. Uh, Perhaps we haven't always kept our word. And so, friends, uh, if that is you, uh, why don't we all turn from our sin and turn again to Jesus and the forgiveness that is available there and live a life of integrity and uh, truthfulness that is shaped by the God who is faithful to us. Let's pray.